The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals being interviewed and do not necessarily represent those of the Greater Winter Haven Chamber of Commerce. You're listening to It's Happening in the Haven. I'm your host, Katie Worthington-Decker. Each episode, I get the privilege to speak to the amazing people taking Winter Haven and its surrounding Central Florida area to the next level. We're future-focused, celebrating our entrepreneurial history, and leveraging it for our bright future ahead. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for It's Happening in the Haven. I'm your host, Katie Worthington-Decker, President and CEO of the Greater Winter Haven Chamber of Commerce, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Rachel Lawrence, Marketing Coordinator for the Chamber. Hi, everyone. This podcast is produced by the Winter Haven Chamber, but is made possible through a phenomenal partnership with Dolphin Image Studios. Our producer from Dolphin is Joe. Hey, Joe, tell our listeners a little bit about the studios. Thanks, Katie. Dolphin Image Studios is a full production film and television studio. We offer a 3,000 square foot soundstage, psych wall, LED wall, an eight acre back lot, and a podcast studio. To find us, go to facebook.com backslash Dolphin Image Studios, as well as on our Instagram at Dolphin Image Studios. Today's episode is very unique. If you've been tuning in every week, you've heard from a lot of very well-known leaders in our community. But there are so many people in our community that may not have the official sounding titles, but are doing amazing things. Our main interview segment today is one of those people. Fred Kaler is a children's book author and illustrator who has been published by major national publishing houses. And in an inspiring and funny interview, explains how he went from a doodler to a published author. We also have our next politics segment with a lesson on the Electoral College with Polk State College government adjunct professor Ed Smith. So we actually get an opportunity to interview a lot of people. We record every Monday. And so some of our interviews are recorded ahead of time. And Rachel, we recorded Fred's a couple of weeks ago and absolutely loved talking to him, could talk to him for hours. Yes. And uh, afterwards he called and he asked me for your mailing address. So uh, Fred ended up sending uh, me a book called How to Cheer Up Dad that he had illustrated and written and he even drew a little doodle of an elephant on the inside cover, and it is so treasured. Um, we read it to Oliver, oh my goodness, dozens of times by yeah. now, and we definitely make sure we, you know, put it up high so he can't play with it. I know, <laughs> I know, yeah. I've got two of Fred's books that he signed, and I'm like, you know what? We're just going to leave these on top shelf where mm -hmm. Skylar can't get to them. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So, Fred, thank you so much if you're yes, listening to the podcast. thank you, Fred. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of local businesses in the Winter Haven community, including our presenting sponsor, Fred Simons Insurance Agency. That's right. There's a new farmer's insurance agent in your neighborhood. Meet Fred Simons with the Fred Simons Insurance Agency located at 325 Avenue C Southwest, Winter Haven, Florida. As the road you travel changes, so can your insurance needs. Give Fred Simons a call today at 863-259-1826. So he can help you as you assess whether you're ready for the journey ahead. That's Farmers Insurance Agent Fred Simons at 863-259-1826. We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. We are farmers. Bum, ba, da, bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers, Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. 
Kaler is an artist and storyteller who lives in Lakeland, but has gained national recognition as a children's book author and illustrator. Publishing his first book in 2014, Fred has played a role in eight books currently on the market. His stories are those of adventure and wonder and being true to yourself. Welcome to the podcast, Fred. Hey, thanks for having me. I am so excited that you're here. So, so when we first met, which is almost a decade ago at this Stop. point, probably actually longer. <laughs> we're getting old. <laughs> no. Um, so you were a graphic designer for a promotional items marketing um, group actually here in Winter Haven. Yes. Um, and so how did you take the leap to children's book author and illustrator? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I, I believe that I had always sort of had this art and these stories inside of me, but I also understood that... Uh, People who made art for a living um, basically starved to death. Like that's that's <laughs> what happens. So so when I went to school, I, again, I came from a small town. I came from uh, Highlands County, small town in Highlands County, and uh, and so, so Polk County was the big city then, huh? No, it really was. I thought I'd moved to Metropolis um, <laughs> because there's art and culture and coffee houses and all these things that we didn't have. But you know, coming from such a from such a small town. Like I, I really thought that my only avenue into the arts was uh, commercial art. Mm-hmm. So uh, I had one commercial art class in high school and was like, okay, this is what I need to do if I want to be a working professional artist. So I studied graphic design, went to college, uh, you know, did a couple of different things. I did Peace Corps after college, which was an amazing experience for another, uh, wow. another story for another time. Um, <laughs> So you are a really good person, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm a terrible person who who made a couple of good choices. Oh, there you go. Um, <laughs> but but how does that all land in children's books? I, I believe it's because there was, again, always this art, always these stories inside of me. And it, it took working in these professional markets and learning so much about what it means to be a professional, a working artist, you know, and I, I have to credit public supermarkets. I worked there for uh, two years as an inside uh, resource uh, for them. And, you know, I photoshopped so many cans of peas and <laughs> made the creamy mashed potatoes look like chunky mashed potatoes, you know, and, and did all of all of this sort of production work for them mm-hmm. that by the time I was ready to pick up my my pencil or, or actually my digital pencil and start drawing, like all the tools made sense. Mm-hmm. And so it it dovetailed so easily into illustration. And uh, and so, you know, I, I did what um, any uh, young person would do who, who was trying to break into the industry. And I Googled, you know, what do I do with this book that I wrote? <laughs> and found uh, a conference in New York City where for only $800, you know, they would tell me if my book was any good or not. And uh, so, you know, that was like the first of many, many missteps along this path. But um, eventually I found the right organizations to get plugged into. I found the right places where I could go to learn and grow my craft. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, my overnight success took seven or eight years of steadily uh, <laughs> going to, to one conference after another, pitching uh, one idea after another, hearing no and no and no and no, until you know I'd sort of elevated my craft at the same rate that uh, the same time that I'd elevated sort of my connections. Mm-hmm. So I knew a few people in the industry, and my work was finally good enough. Where it and that's to be. yeah, and that's when I got my first gig. I love that. Uh, I would love for every um, starving artist or entrepreneur out there to hear that my overnight success took seven to eight years. Because yes. I think that's a key point that's with that. Definitely yeah. quotable. Fred, your first book, How to Cheer Up Dad, is such a heartwarming story about an elephant named Little Jumbo who can't understand why his dad is having a bad day. So he is determined to cheer him up. 
why did you come up with this idea and does it have a special meaning to you? Yes. So <laughs> How to Cheer Up Dad began at uh, at my favorite coffee shop. Uh, and can I say Lakeland? Can I say it was you, in Lakeland? You are allowed okay. to mention all right, Lakeland all right. spots, so, yes. Yeah, I was at Mitchell's <laughs> Coffee Shop in downtown Lakeland. We love Mitchell's okay. too. Mitchell. Okay. Yes. Okay. Where, you know, I was hanging out trying to be the cool artist slash dad. I had my sketchbook with me. I had my 18-month-old son and and he's just being a punk and he's like dumping out the hot sauce on the table and trying to eat the salt and pepper. And and I got home from this really frustrating like three hour sketch session. And the only sketch that I had managed to do in my entire sketchbook was this image of two elephants, a big one and a little one. And they were staring each other down so angrily. Um, and that was really like the that was the story of, of my morning with with my son. And uh, that sketch ended up in the back of my portfolio and it was this loose rough uh crazy looking sketch style that it wasn't my normal style i was trying to be like a pixar animator you know everything was 3d rendered like really really um i don't know highly rendered looking mm -hmm. and and i i just didn't realize that there were hundreds of people who did that style way better than me and so when i was putting my work out there i was just looking like a knockoff of somebody else and it took this art director from Simon & Schuster, uh, again, at one of these conferences where I was attending, and she's going through my portfolio and all of these 3D highly rendered pieces, and she, I can see it on her face that she is not having anything to do with my art, and she mm -hmm. doesn't like it, and it's going to be another another rejection and another like long drive home you know, by myself with, with just regret hanging over <laughs> me for all the money I just spent on this conference. Mm -hmm. And she gets to that last page. And that sketch that as an afterthought, I threw in the back and she's like, whoa, 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 hold the phone. What's this? And I and I said, I don't know. It's just this sketch I did. And she like kind of like grabs a hold of my face and like looks me in the eye and says, Fred, like <laughs> throw away everything else in your portfolio. Draw it all like this, because this is your voice. This is what makes you different. This is what makes you stand out. This is you. Mm -hmm. And then. Put that image on a postcard, send it out to every art director you know, make sure your website matches, and you're going to get your first book deal. And oh then she goodness. closed my portfolio, handed it back to me, and said, now go have a great career. Oh, wow. my goodness. Talk and, about one person and changing the trajectory. Yes, yes, yes. And so, and her name is Lucy Ruth Cummins. So, hi, Lucy, if you're out there and you're ever hearing this. <laughs> we need to send her this podcast <laughs> yeah. so yeah, she yeah. can hear the we profound did. impact that she's had oh, on your she, life. She knows, she knows. Um, and so, so, I did what any intelligent person would do. I threw away everything in my portfolio. I redrew all of it to look, you know, like that loose, sketchy image. I updated my website. And lo and behold, I put that image, the exact one, no changes to it at all, put it on a postcard, sent it out to my list of art directors and had four different publishers call and said, hey, we want to do a book. That is so incredible. at that point, did you have a story yet or did you just have an image? At that point, I had like the beginnings of a story in my brain, but I didn't have the <laughs> image or I didn't have the whole thing yet. So, of course, when... I got the first phone call, and it was from Penguin, which is like one of the big five Massive. publishers, right? Right, and they merged with Random House, so now they're Penguin Random House. But it was an editor at Penguin, and she said, "Hey, Fred, I got your postcard. You know, uh, uh, what's the story that goes along with this? Can you send it to me?" And and I didn't have one, mm -hmm. and so I said, "Oh yeah, it's just about done. I'll send it to you. You know, day after tomorrow." <laughs> so, you know, you've never worked so hard in your never, life. Never, never worked so hard in my life. But you know, pulled it all together, and it was 
it was 60 words. What I sent her was 60 words and a bunch of sketches. Oh, wow. And of all the thousands and thousands of words, the terrible novels, like all of the other stuff that I had written before that, it was those 60 words in that right order attached to those images that made something special that they wanted to publish, that they were willing to give me a shot on. Yeah, I mean, I think, and, and um, I've got that book at home and we read it to my daughter and I love it because I don't know what the backstory is. I don't know, but I think of all the times you don't, you think of how you're interacting with your kids and how your kid perceives how you're behaving. I think that's why I love that book so much because it's like there, any bad day you have, you have to, pick up on the small stuff and kids are so pure and kind and um i just i love that book so much and we and just a little plug for the other my other favorite of your books um which you illustrated which was flashlight night which you um actually gave us when we had skylar but it uh, i love that one too and that's actually one of justin's favorites oh to well read thank to you skylar as well but it's it's absolutely amazing so so they publish your book then yeah so and so you um basically had one of the largest Publishers in the United States published your first book, which is pretty darn amazing. Yeah, and they, they had offered it to me in a two-book deal. And so basically it meant I owed them a second book after the first one, mm-hmm. um, which is sort of their way of locking you in, you know, in right. case w- this one does really well. Well, we've got you for the next one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, after that, after I got a two-book deal on my own without an agent, it was really easy to get an agent because I basically sent a bunch of different literary agents a message that said, hey, just landed a two book deal on my own. Would you guys be willing to represent me? And so, you know, found uh, found my first agent, and um, that was uh, uh, Adams Literary out of uh, out of North Carolina. And uh, they sort of shepherded me shepherded me through the next several uh, several book deals. Mm-hmm. And you know, and it's it, it's been a roller coaster, right? I'm I am now a working artist and it's what I've always wanted to be and and I'm not just doing one type of art I'm 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 writing stories I'm you know drawing pictures I'm making logos I'm helping you know the the school that I work at like there's mm-hmm. there's there's so many avenues to the art that I get to make and it's it's a fascinating life so you have written and illustrated some of the books and then you've just illustrated um i say just illustrated i know it's more than that but you've illustrated some of the books or given illustration credit so did other writers start to contact you after you were published to say would you be interested in illustrating my book or how does that relationship develop yeah and that's a great question so when uh when i get approached by someone who has written a story and they're interested in me illustrating it basically the route that i have to send them is all right you've got to find the publisher Right. You've got to find a publisher that falls in love with this, and hopefully they love it so much that they're going to give you a six-figure deal and get the movie rights going and all that sort of stuff. And then when that happens, you tell them that you want Fred Kaler to illustrate it <laughs> because the only way that either of us get paid is through that publisher. Right. Fred, on your website, ilikefred.com, you wrote a blog post titled, You Wrote a Book, Yay, Now What? And it walks us through quite humorously how someone with an idea or a completed book should go about getting published. Some people think, well, I'll just self-publish, but you caution against that. And tell us what you would best, best advice you would give someone who has written a book and how they would put it out to the world. Sure. I, I think that the industry has shifted more favorably towards people who are going to publish uh, independently. And there are a lot of more resources today than there were 10 years ago. 
Uh, Amazon has sort of their own like self-publishing, um, you know, platform. Uh, Wattpad, I believe, does. Like there, there are a number of there are a number of spaces out there that are not. Um, I'm trying to think of what the word is. That aren't trying to take advantage of you, mm-hmm. right? You still are probably going to pay them to be a part of their program. And that's the real difference, right? When a publisher, when you're going through a traditional publishing process, they're going to give you an advance. They're going to give you royalties. They're they're going to give you um, a, a professional editor, a professional art director, a professional publicity team. Like I knew just just based on my background in marketing and advertising, I knew that that's what I wanted for my books. And that might not be what everyone wants or needs, right? If somebody if somebody wants to make a book and get it out there because it's it's this piece of them that they need to put out into the world, there is an avenue to do that, and and you don't have to go through a traditional publisher. I, I'm trying to build a brand, and I'm trying to um, I'm trying to put products, and that you know. So, so there's there's this business side of things, right? Mm-hmm. This is what we're talking about now. We're talking about creating this is the a college, product. the kids' college education side of this, <laughs> right? Right. And this is yeah. And you know, if I want to survive in this industry long term, I have to create and craft well designed uh, products mm-hmm. to put out into the world. But that, and that's the business side of things. But there's also there's also the why of it, and there's also the the heart side of things. And I think that's that's a place where, where we can all sort of agree. If you want to put a book out into the world, it's kind of like standing up on this soapbox and saying, hey, everyone, look at me. Mm-hmm. I have something to say. And then if you don't have a why, if there's not a good reason behind it, then you're just, you know, you're, you're shouting into the wind or, or I, I, you know, I don't know what other analogy to use, but... If there's no why, there's no real reason for you to get up there and say, hey, everyone here, look at this. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, for me, uh, and, and we're going to get a little deep here. Is that okay? <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> All right. So when I started, my why was my own kids. And it was I want to prove to them that you can follow your dreams, that you can do anything you set your mind to with enough hard work um, and, and persistence and as I've sort of grown into the industry and just, you know, grown into life and matured and, and had my eyes opened, I mean, my why has sort of centered around something different. And and uh, I like to use the analogy of sinking ships. <laughs> and you may or may not know the story, but I have personally sunk a boat. Um, really? Yes. Uh, a mile and a half offshore. Um Fred, really? I, I know, yeah, totally. Uh, it was my brother's boat. I'm so sorry, Kenny. Um, <laughs> but is he still talking to you? Yeah, yeah. He just got a new boat. He's never gonna let me borrow it. Um, but you know, we got caught in a storm a mile and a half offshore, and and the boat capsized, and we were like left clinging to you know this this ship uh, in a storm. And basically hoping and praying that we could get through to emergency services, you know, to come rescue us. And and we were lucky, and they did, and we were saved and rescued from that situation. But I use that analogy, and, and the metaphor is going to fall apart at some point, but like <laughs> everybody in their life is going to go through a sinking ship mm-hmm. at some point, right? Mm-hmm. And what is the, the worst possible thing I can think of is when a kid is on a sinking ship that they had no choice in, right? I, we had a choice. We went out. We knew that it was windy. 
the fairest, the, the most fair thing that could have happened to us was exactly what happened. Nature mm-hmm. did exactly what nature does. And then we were, you know, we were left in a crisis. But when a kid has these crisis situations, it wasn't their fault. Like they, mm-hmm. you know, like their parents are going through a divorce. Somebody lost a job. They find themselves homeless. All of these sorts of things that happen to kids and and they're out there looking and praying and hoping that somebody's going to throw them a life raft, right? And or or shine a light or whatever. And I think that's what books can do for kids. And so when I write a book, my goal is that is that it's creating a beacon, it's creating a lighthouse. It's telling this kid that hey, you're not alone. You're not the only person who's ever felt this way. And you know, it, Things might be really dark and really cold right now, but day will break and light will come and there is rescue on the horizon. And so my why has become that quest, right? So that's what I hope to do for the rest of my life is, is, to, create, um, is to create beacons and bridges and doors for, for kids. I feel like that, um, and maybe it's in the, the ones that I've read of yours, that is kind of a theme in some of the books, like an underlying theme uh, in the books. And, you know, I think of, you know, how to cheer up dad and, you know, if a, if a kid by no doing of their own, but a parent is dealing with depression or going through a divorce mm-hmm. or anything along those lines, um, you know, that's what that one, I probably was reading into it too deeply now knowing that you had two days to write the entire story. <laughs> but I'm like, this is just so profound because, you know, the kid's job is this mm-hmm. monumental task no matter what's going on. But but or even Flashlight Night um, has a very similar theme. Of, I mean, more overtly of shining a light on on things that are happening. But um, yeah, I love that. That was really deep. Yeah. I like feel very motivated <laughs> by too. that clip. Yes. You Good. need to take that soundbite and put it on your website. Well, yeah. So I've I was I've been working on a blog post that that deals exactly with the why. And I wanna I wanna link this uh, podcast to that, and maybe yeah. you can link back to my blog I would post. Love to, yeah, 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 because it is it is important. Like it's really important to to figure that out. And once you know what your why is. The books come easy, right? Right. The next thing that I'm like the la- the last thing that I wrote and the next thing I'm writing have come so easily to me, even though they're like you know fifty five thousand word middle grade novels. Mm-hmm. Like they're there and they're good, and I know they're gonna sell, and I know that like I'm gonna like they're gonna reach kids, right? Who need to read those kinds of stories, stories about courage and empathy and trust and hope. Yeah, no, those are the those are all the everything you just named. All those lessons are the things we need to be putting in the kids' hands for sure. So um, you just got back from a weekend in New York City on a publishing trip. Yes. So um, how to go? And uh, you have any kind of neat new industry stuff that's going on? Yeah. So the trip was exhausting. Um, <laughs> so there, there's an organization that I became a part of called the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. And that is where I have really gotten my feet underneath me within the industry. And I'm now on the leadership of the Florida uh, chapter. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're doing events all over the state of Florida. But because I'm on the leadership in Florida, when I go to New York, I, I'm a worker bee. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, I'm part of this conference. I get to do these pitch sessions. You know, I get to meet with the editors and the agents and do all that sort of um, exciting stuff. And I did get to have, you know, a, a Manhattan lunch with my editor and, you know, like all those, <laughs> like all those kinds of fun, fun things. But it is really neat to be behind the scenes and to see what's going on with the industry. And, 
you know, mostly like the the best parts were were sitting up until one o'clock in the morning, hanging out with artists and writers, and just talking about the things that that you know we're passionate about. Fred, your full time gig right now is the director of media and design at All Saints Academy. Tell us about what you do on a daily basis for All Saints and what is happening at the school that you would like your, our listeners to know about. Okay, so. <laughs> I want everyone, if you've never taken a tour of All Saints Academy, I want you to come check it out. I did not know that such a place existed within the realm of education. And so when I went to meet with them, I thought that I was interviewing uh, for them to be a client for my advertising agency. And uh, I was really excited when I saw what was going on there. Um, and And here's what I saw. I saw a school full of students and teachers who cared. I saw incredible facilities. Everything was clean. Everything was beautiful. The kids leave their backpacks on the ground, like by their lockers. Nobody messes with anybody else's stuff. That was like such a, such a, a, a signal to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't do that like in my, on my front porch, you know, <laughs> like, um, but the way that they were teaching empathy and the way that they were teaching innovative thinking and design process and all these sorts of things like to kids is, you know, in starting an elementary school, mm-hmm. they've got them learning Chinese and playing in violin, violin. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like all of this amazing stuff. And so I was like, well, guys, I can help you tell your story. No problem. Like this is I mean, you guys are a slam dunk, a home run. Mm-hmm. And and. They said, well, but we would like to hire you to, you know, come on full time. And I was like, "Ooh, no, no, I like to go fishing on Wednesday afternoons like that's that's going to interfere. But then, you know, they they continued this tour and they showed me all around this amazing campus. And they said, well, Fred, what if your kids come to school here? And I was like, "Okay, you got me, you know, (laughs) that that was all it took. And so not only did All Saints sort of open their doors, you know, to, to me as a working artist, they opened their doors to my whole family. Oh, wow. And that has, it's just been an incredible two years. And, and I feel like the work that I've learned, what I've learned as a storyteller in writing and, and visually as an artist is, is just playing right into their strengths. It is amazing. And I echo those comments. I mean, it's, um, I'm a big fan. They, um, the way they teach um, from the very beginning um, of getting kids to understand the the joy of learning as well as the holistic side of it. Um, it's it's an incredible school. So what is next for you? So you said you're working on two novels, so yes. longer novels now. So any any little previews you can give to us or tidbits about your upcoming work? Sure, yeah. So my very first novel, illustrated novel, uh, came out in 2018 titled Garbage Island, and mm-hmm. it's the story of uh, of uh, several animal characters, a, little, a small civilization of animal characters who are stranded in the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. So they're using the trash to make their houses and boats and, you know, uh, all this sort of stuff, and it's all the things that try and eat them and how they're trying to, you know, rescue themselves, basically. So Garbage Island came out 2018. The sequel is slated to come out next year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm still working with uh, the publisher and the editor on on wrapping that one up. And then uh, the the thing that I just finished that I'm pitching that is super exciting is like this spooky, funny, grim fairy tale uh, about a a uh, goblin and a ghost girl, and it is. Probably like more PG thirteen than anything else mm-hmm. I've written before, mm-hmm. but um, 
it it explores you know it explores the theme of of growing up poor and so our protagonist in this, you know, grow, she she starts off her life uh, sort of in a trailer park, and she's growing up poor, and and it's the consequences of of poverty, and and what happens when you get trapped in it, mm-hmm. and so that theme plays into both, you know, her story and the story of of these sort of fairy tale creatures that she encounters along the way. Wow! So um, both of those books that you that you just described are um, have elements of kind of social justice and like planting those seeds. I mean, the the garbage in the middle of the, I mean, sure. I think all of us get angry when we see the the island of garbage in the middle <laughs> of the Pacific. Um, and then, of course, that sounds, um, the, you are like channeling your um, Peace Corps yeah. <laughs> days as you come into this, which yeah. is. I hugged a tree right before I came in. Exactly. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think it's important. I mean, it starts a conversation. All the books that we read, um, whether it was in school or for fun, when you look Think back about your middle school, um, you know, late elementary, middle school, high school. They all were meant to teach us a lesson well beyond what we were reading in the books. And so. Right. And that that's what I think is so is so important and relevant here is that, you know, I, nobody's like pointing a finger in my books and saying you shouldn't throw your garbage into the ocean. That's not because that that's not going to solve the problem and it's really just going to going to create a pushback from people right. you know I'm not calling anybody a litter bug what I'm saying is this is the situation that we have today mm-hmm. this is what really happens and again maybe not with the animal characters and the fairy tale creatures <laughs> but like these are these are actual situations that occur in our real world and and you know these are our problems to solve right Absolutely. Well, Fred, it really has been such a pleasure to have you in on the podcast today. And if you want to um, learn more about Fred Kaler and the books that he's written, visit his website at ilikefred.com. And where can they purchase your books if they want to purchase your books? Yeah, just about anywhere books are sold. (laughs) Um, You know, uh, I love to send people to your local independent bookstore. I don't think we really have one in Polk County, but, um, you know, uh, you can get them on Amazon. You can get them at barnesandnoble.com. Uh, just but just about anywhere that's great that's great well and if you want to learn a, a, a more about all saints academy you can also visit allsaintsacademy.com right Correct. and yes. and we certainly appreciate them letting you come out and record the podcast today as well um which is very exciting so again thank you so much i just truly enjoy your story i know um rachel has a toddler as well and so um these books are very meaningful to a lot of people so thank you and for sharing your story of course my pleasure podcast would not be possible without our chamber investor businesses stepping up to support us. We'd like to thank one of our podcast presenting sponsors, Meeks Real Estate. Winter Haven was rated by Realtor.com as our number one hottest real estate market. Do you need help navigating your home search? Meeks Real Estate LLC is owned and operated by broker Realtor Carla Meeks. Carla has over 14 years of experience in residential and commercial real estate, as well as her GRI designation. Her office is located at 1510 North Broadway Avenue in Bartow but Carla is actively involved in all of Polk County. Call or text Carla at any time. She would love to help you buy, sell, build, and invest in Central Florida. 863-604-9287 or visit carlamakesrealtor.com. That's C-A-R-L-A-M-E-E-K-S, realtor.com.
Staying engaged and informed in the political arena can be a daunting task these days, even for the diehard political nerd. That's why we are lucky to have with us Ed Smith, Polk State College adjunct professor of American and state and local government, to help us break down and understand the issues. Welcome to the podcast, Ed. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So today's subject, the Electoral College. Fascinating. Yes. <laughs> to you and me, it is. We hope it is to <laughs> everyone true. that's listening. I always say that. <laughs> I expect everybody to be as nerdy as me. Exactly. But. Exactly. So um, a lot of discussion um, started, at least my generation perspective, I'm sure that this discussion has come up time and time again, but a lot of uh, discussion started after the 2016 presidential election about the Electoral College when Hillary Clinton won the popular vote but Donald Trump won the electoral votes um, or electoral college. So what is the history of the electoral college and why was that system used instead of the popular vote? So when the framers were sitting together in that constitutional hall trying to draft up a constitution, many of the delegates at the constitutional convention wanted to go to a straight up popular vote. Mm-hmm. Um, not a large percentage. It was probably about 20 percent of the delegates. Many of the founding fathers were concerned about a popular vote in a country at the time that did not have public education. So most of the electorate was, uh, and when I say ignorant, I mean uneducated. Right. Um, and so most of them had never, you know, they were parochial. They never left outside of five miles of radius of their home. So they just weren't knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. And so the founding fathers were worried about a popular vote that if somebody, a candidate was running and they ran on a populist uh, message that they could persuade an uneducated public to follow them down a path that might not be the best path for the country. Hmm. Keep in mind there were no parties at the time. So another option was to have Congress vote on the president and select the president. So we'd be more like a parliamentary system like England has. Hmm. Um, And several of the states weren't in favor of that. Yeah, let's go back to the people we just left now. Although it would be way more interesting C-SPAN than it is today. (laughs) I can tell you, well, again, I say this, I'm a nerd. I love watching uh, English Parliament. It's fascinating. It is. Um, There's a bunch of rancor there and divisiveness, but it's a lot more fun to watch. It is, yeah. Um, So anyway, um, so a compromise was brought up to create an electoral college, which would be basically a nominating process. Each state would select electors, um, primarily through the legislative body of the state. Those electors would list then the top five, each elector would list the top five candidates they think should be president and whoever received received the majority of the votes from the delegates would become president of the United States. It was more like a nominating process. Uh, There was no popular vote at all at that point. Okay. So fast forward to today and how, how does it work in today's world? So we still have that system. Um, There's a popular vote. And there's a convention. I mean, how do, how are the delegates selected? I mean, how does all this work? I, walk me through the. I went into okay. the the booth. I made my selection. It all gets counted. There's a popular vote. Now what happens? So the popular vote, obviously, in every state, everybody turns out to vote. In most states, all but two, um, it's fifty percent plus one. So if you get 50 percent plus one of the vote of Florida, for example, all of the electoral college members are going to be whichever party gets 50 percent plus one. So, for example, in the last election, President Trump won Florida. He got all of the electoral votes for Florida. The electoral college members are selected by the state parties. So in Florida, the Democrat Party picks a slate of electors. The Republican Party picks a slate of electors. Now, interestingly, most states, the parties pick their electors straight out. There are a couple of 
uh, exceptions, Florida, both parties submit a list to the governor, and the governor actually selects. Now, he has to select from the list that's provided. So right. the Democrats uh, provide a list of, of potential electors, and the governor will pick. Uh, Is it members. required that he pick a certain number from each party? So every state gets the number of electors based on the number of members of Congress. So Florida, for example, has two senators. We get two electors for them, and we get two electors for each of our 29 uh, members of Congress, of, of oh, the House okay. of Representatives. And interestingly enough, in the Senate, it's potential to have uh, a tie because you always are going to have an even number. In the House, the number's been fixed at 435, so you always have the ability to break a tie. Right. So just a little interesting tidbit. I'm sorry, nerd talk. <laughs> um, so, yes, in the next census, and every, the census is taken at the beginning of every decade. It usually takes a couple of years to process all that information. And then we redraw all of our district lines all across the country. Um, and so there's actually a formula that is used to create that creates how many electoral votes each state gets or how many members of the House of Representatives each state gets based on uh, population numbers. Mm -hmm. So we're considered to be maybe become more powerful when it comes to oh, the absolutely. Electoral College um, as our population continues absolutely. to grow. Um, so the governor approves the list of the delegates. So if you are a Democrat on the list – but a Republican won fifty plus one. You stay home. You stay home. You stay home. You the just Republicans don't. You get just don't. Um, you don't uh, participate. You don't participate in You're it. You're done at so, that point. Okay. So, but does your your quote unquote vote technically goes towards whoever won it? Since all of the um, all of the uh, votes go to whoever was the majority winner. In Correct. The so in in Florida, after the popular vote, if in the upcoming election, for example, President mm -hmm. Trump gets 50 percent plus one. He will get all of the electoral votes, which will all be Republicans selected by the Republican Party. Right, right. Okay. That's interesting. I didn't know that. So in today's world, do you feel like there's still justification for the Electoral College or do you see that maybe eventually changing? So I wish we had about an hour so I could dive into <laughs> uh, the whole formulation of the Electoral College and the arguments about it being pro-slavery or not pro-slavery. Um, so when the Electoral College was designed, because they wanted to avoid a popular vote and they wanted to avoid Congress picking the president because, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of devoids the whole separation of powers. Um, right. So the Electoral College was a good compromise. In today's society, you know, it sounds like it's very anti-democratic to elect this slate of electors who are then going to select the president. Why not just have a direct popular vote? But when it was designed, and this t this is actually the case today too, it protects minority populations in small states. So, for example, Wyoming in the last election had about 680,000 people. Don't ask me why I know that. Um, <laughs> and they have three electoral college votes. Well, 680,000 people, the amount of voters, eligible voters they have in Wyoming is smaller than the number of eligible voters we have in Polk County. Oh, wow. So – they don't have much weight in a popular vote. So by having the Electoral College, you can – now, it's overweighted for small populated states in the Electoral College. Mm -hmm. But you give them a voice in the election process. So just to give you an example, in the last election, Hillary Clinton did win the popular vote. But if you take out every state except California, who has a large population, 55, 56 million people, mm -hmm. which is roughly about, uh, what, 20 percent of the population of the country, you take California out. President Trump wins the popular vote by 1.2, 1.3 million. You add California and he loses it by 
That's mm-hmm. how many voters are in California. Wow. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't really want Californians making decisions for me. I, <laughs> I like making decisions in Florida. Mm-hmm. So the Electoral College then allows each state and each region in the country to have a voice in that process so that we're not overwhelmingly outvoted by a population like the state of California. Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I think so. I can see why you're a good professor. Well, <laughs> I, I, I try, and I try to explain it in a way that's understandable, but it, it's it's a very technical process. Yes. But yeah, in a nutshell, that's... More complicated than I think people realize in terms of how everything is factored into it. So. Correct. Well, thank you so much for giving us a little background into the Electoral College pleasure. today. Um, if you, our listener, have any um, topics that you would like to learn more about in terms of politics and government, please let us know by emailing us at podcast at winterhavenchamber.com. This podcast would not be possible without our chamber and investor businesses stepping up to support us. We'd like to thank one of our podcast presenting sponsors, Advent Health. Advent Health came to Polk County in September 2019 with the acquisition of Heart of Florida Regional Medical Center and Lake Wales Medical Center and has swiftly become an active and engaged community partner. Established in 1908 by pioneering Seventh-day Adventists who believed in whole person health, healing of the mind, body, and spirit. Advent Health has grown into one of the largest nonprofit hospitals in the country. In addition to the two hospitals in Polk County, Advent Health has also has CentraCare, an urgent care facility on Cypress Gardens Boulevard, and a physician's group office on First Street in downtown Winterhaven. Learn more at adventhealth.com. That's adventhealth.com. Well, that's it for another episode of It's Happening in the Haven. We would like to thank our guests for today's podcast, Fred Kaler from ilikefred.com and All Saints Academy, Ed Smith with Polk State College, and be sure to tune in every week to It's Happening in the Haven, available on all your favorite podcasting platforms. To learn more about Winter Haven and the Chamber of Commerce, visit winterhavenchamber.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We hoped you learned a little bit about our community today and even more about the people that are shaping its future. After all, no true community exists without the people who form it. Winter Haven. Some call it a haven. We call it home.